There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. You know, I say that same thing every week, Greg. You do. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. Yeah. No, it's kind of stuck with me. It's my radio voice. Do it. Last week, though, we had a guest on our show. We had Shay Katria from Russell Investments. And Shay is the, what's his title, Greg? Director of Investment Strategies. That's right. With Russell Investments. Anyways, in it, we talked about bank runs because this has been top of mind with the issues around Silicon Valley Bank, yep. Signature Bank, Credit Suisse, and probably some others out there, really, right? Sure. It's an interesting discussion, and it was all over the headlines. Not our discussion with Shea, that is, but just the, the bank failures and creating some worry about another global financial crisis. And in the episode last week, Greg, Shea talked about how things are just different right now than they were in 2008. Right? That's right. Yeah, very different. And I think what he talked about was like some of it comes down to consumer debt levels mm-hmm. and being at maybe 40% higher back in 2008 than they are today. Exactly. But it does get us thinking about these pessimistic headlines that we're surrounded by. And there's another author, Morgan Housel, author of a book called The Psychology of Money. Greg, am I recommending Morgan Housel's book, The Psychology of Money? It's an excellent book. Of course you are. It's a very good book. As a matter of fact, I think everybody should read it. And I hope to have Morgan on the show sometime. Maybe with this plug, it'll work. You've met Morgan yourself. I have met Morgan. I met him at a conference called Future Proof last year down in beautiful Huntington Beach. I got a picture with him and everything. Nice. But Morgan wrote a paper in 2016 talking about pessimism and why it makes people sound smarter. So this is what we're going to tackle today. And also, if we have time at the end, we're going to spend a few minutes on how these people came to be experts. Like, why do their opinions matter and get printed? Exactly. Yep. So let's get into a little bit like... Why does pessimism sound so smart is literally the title of Morgan's paper, right? Exactly. And here's a quote from the paper from a historian, Deirdre N. McCloskey. For reasons I have never understood, people like to hear that the world is going to hell. That's a pretty good quote. It is. Right? And it's hard to argue, despite the record of things getting better for most people most of the time. Like the day we live in today, Greg, if you look at the access to water, food, jobs, things, yep, it's never been as good as it is right now. That's right. For most of the world, yep. right? Yep. Or for the world we live in anyways. That's right? right. Yep. So pessimism isn't just more common than optimism. It's also sounds smarter, according to Morgan. It's intellectually captivating and paid more attention to than the optimist who is often viewed as an obvious sucker. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. You must get that when clients call in and they say, what's going on in the markets? And you say, well, you know what? I'm actually pretty bullish from here. Inflation is trending down. Interest rate hikes are, they got to be close to the end, right? We're coming out of a bear market, which typically leads to a bull market. I think I sound optimistic. Yep. But 
am I just the sucker? Well, that's right. You know, and because there's so many things to focus on that are negative, it's easy to get drawn down into it. I find it myself, you know, sometimes where you can start to get drawn down into the depths of despair and pessimism just by reading the news. I did something the other day that I haven't done since 2009. And that is I stayed up later than usual to watch the Asian markets open because I was worried about what the stock market in North America was going to open the next day. Wow. Do you remember back in 2009? We used to do that quite often, right? I do remember that. You know, you'd see what the Nikkei and all the others opened up at. It would give you a sort of an indication as to what your day would look like. Exactly. That was a sucker's move. That was a dark time. Yeah. And now being able to look back at it, you can see that, oh, okay, well, things actually worked out. You just had to get through yep. it. Well, even the day that I stayed up late to watch that, I mean, even at the time I was doing it, Greg, I was like, this is stupid. I mean, there's so many moving parts. Like when people talk about like, is the market going to go up? Is it going to go down? And they point out like one or two items. Haven't we discussed how there's literally thousands of inputs, thousands of variables that affect whether or not the market's going to go up or down, right? But listen, this pessimistic way, it's always been this way. And this guy named John Stuart Mill who I've never met because he wrote this 150 years ago. It's a philosopher. Is he? I've never heard of him before. Maybe he wasn't very good because I haven't... Have you I, heard I of him? guess not. Well, maybe there was no Cole's notes on his books. Yeah, well, I guess not. When you're writing on stone tablets, you don't get Cole's notes. Right? Well, 150 years ago, I think they'd <laughs> moved on past stone, but okay. But who's counting? <laughs> okay, his quote was, I've observed that not the man who hopes... When others despair, but the man who despairs when others hope is admired by a large class of persons as a sage. Yeah. Yeah. The predictors of, of doom. Right. And it's easier to predict doom because I don't know why. Well, just to those quotes, it's like it draws this attention. If the newspaper article headline, do you read the newspaper, by the way? We've talked about this before. Like, I, print I, I, only, I only read news online now. I don't read a newspaper, of course. You know what's funny? I know this is an aside. My daughter bought a disposable camera a few weeks ago. I don't really? know why. Really? Yeah, and she used it on our family vacation. <laughs> With film. With film in it. Wow. So she took it to somewhere to get developed, and she brought everything home, and she pulled out one of the negatives, and she's like, Dad, what is this? Yeah. I said, well, it's a negative, honey. She said, well, what does it do? I said, well, you know, that's how your film gets developed. And I had yeah. to explain to her each step of the process. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess my point being that, like, I haven't read the newspaper in its printed form in quite a while. But when you see those headlines that say, dark days ahead, mm -hmm. or something to that effect, it drives a response. Sure right? it does. Yep. And very rarely would you ever see a headline that says, Everything looks pretty good. Nothing to worry about. No, that's right? right. Yep. So in investing, a bull sounds like a reckless cheerleader, while a bear sounds like a sharp mind who has dug past the headlines. That's kind of an interesting quote. Well, that's right. You know, because obviously what we're talking about here are bulls and bears. And we've talked before. Bulls are people who believe that the stock market is going to go up in the future. And bears are people that believe that the stock market's going to go down. And there's always a tug of war between those two. Yeah. And there's people out there that are permabulls and perma yep. bears, right? Yep. That's right. And they are basically just wrong until they're right. Yes. Right? So if you say right now, 
things are going to get bad from here. And you just keep saying it every day, every week, every month, every quarter, until eventually it happens, you'll eventually be right. Or the opposite to that. If you say things are going to get great from here and you just keep saying it because it all moves in a cycle. That's right. right? Yeah. So at some point of the cycle, you're right. If you're a perma bull or a perma bear, just like that old saying about how even a broken clock is right twice a day. That's right. Exactly. Except that my kids wouldn't know that because they have digital clocks. Although the interesting thing is when it comes to stock markets history, you know that in the long run, the optimists, the bulls are right more often. Because we know just based on how the stock market has performed that it it goes up about, you know, two-thirds of the time and therefore goes down about one-third of the time. So I guess if you're going to be perma anything, you'd be better off being a perma bull. Well, and wouldn't you just feel better about yourself? Like I, I rather so. than being like yeah. a permanently negative person? I mean, bull markets, the data is roughly this. Bull markets tend to last about five years and bear markets about 14 months. Yeah. According to all of the previous cycles, right? So the fact that we're focused on these pessimistic headlines right now is just where we are in the cycle, perhaps, yeah, right? exactly. And so this goes beyond investing. There's a Harvard professor named Teresa Amabile, I think yep. her name was, mm-hmm. uh, shows that those publishing negative book reviews are seen as smarter and more competent than those giving positive reviews of the same book. That's very interesting. It is, right? Yep. So again, she quotes that only pessimism sounds profound, optimism sounds superficial. Yeah, and that's interesting, and I've experienced that myself. So the question is, why? Why is that the case? And there's, I think, more at stake with pessimism. So Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize for showing he's, of course, we've spoken about Daniel Kahneman before in yeah, the world behavioral of economics. behavioral economics. He won a Nobel Prize, and he basically showed that people respond stronger to loss than they do to gain. And that's an evolutionary thing that organisms that treat threats as more urgent than opportunities have a better chance to survive and reproduce, he he wrote. And so Housel talks about some of the other reasons why pessimism gets so much attention. And wait, how many are there? There's, There's five. Six or five? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the first is that optimism appears totally oblivious to risks. So by default, pessimism looks more intelligent. And he says that's a wrong way to view optimists. Most optimists will tell you that things will get ugly, that like we will have recessions, bear markets, wars, panics, pandemics, as we've just had. But they remain optimistic because they set themselves up in their portfolio or their career or their, you know, their disposition um, to endure those downsides. But to the pessimist, the bad event is the end of the story. And to the optimist, it's what he calls a slow chapter in an otherwise excellent book. So the difference between the two often comes down to just endurance and time frame. So it's not that the optimist doesn't believe that maybe there will be a a recession ahead. Maybe that will cause the market to go through a bear market cycle. But they're looking past that. And it's what we used to say, you know, look at the horizon and not at the waves. There could be a lot of of volatility, a lot of turbulence in the next little while, but we will get past it. You know, we ran into this exact experience years ago. I won't use any names because I don't want to call anybody out. But you remember we did some business with a person who she was a war refugee. Yes. And she made it through this war in this country that she grew up in as a war refugee and made her way to Canada and became a 
fairly successful person in our industry. That's right. right? Yep. And she had a very optimistic outlook on every day going forward, right? Yep. And you remember we had somebody that worked with us who wasn't so optimistic. She's probably more on the pessimistic side. Yes. And when this person told her story of being a war refugee and surviving and all the challenges she overcame, and then she left our office and the person we worked with said, what's wrong with her? Yeah. Remember that? No, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it is a view on life and some people are just more like that. So number two, pessimism basically shows that not everything is moving in the right direction. And that helps you rationalize maybe some personal shortcomings that we all have. So, you know, they say misery loves company and realizing that certain things are outside of your control could be the cause of your own problems. That can be a comforting feeling. And so we're attracted to it. This is the one that number three, Housel points out that we've talked about before. In fact, I think we just talked about it last week with Shay. Pessimism requires action, whereas optimism means staying the course or doing nothing. You know, and so pessimism basically is, you know, sell or get out. And it grabs your attention because an action you need to take right now to avoid a bad outcome. So you don't want to read the article later or skim over details. You might get hurt. Optimism is mostly, don't worry, stay the course, we'll be all right. Which is easy to ignore because it doesn't require doing anything. And that's an issue we run into on a, maybe not daily, but weekly basis. During these times when markets have been pretty beat up, there's been lots of people that are saying, should we be doing something different? And the answer is just what you mentioned. What Shay said is, no, you should be staying the course and being optimistic about the future. Yeah, exactly. This is another one I like, number four. Optimism sounds like a sales pitch, while pessimism sounds like somebody's trying to help you. Mm, Interesting. You know, and that's often the truth. But in general, most of the time, optimism is the correct default setting and and pessimism can be as big a sales pitch as anything, especially if it's around emotional topics like money or politics or things like that. You know, and we see this kind of thing all the time with different product offerings, Mm -hmm. hedge funds, for example. The idea of a hedge fund is excellent. You know, the idea of a hedge fund is, well, you want to find non-correlated asset classes, meaning you want to invest in things that will behave differently under different market situations, right? That's the whole idea of diversification. It's to hedge your risk, right? It's to hedge your risk. Yeah. But basically, you know, it's watch out, things are going to get bad. And whether it's markets are going to go down, interest rates are going to rise, inflation is going to rise. I mean, these are all very reasonable things. All three of those things actually happened. And they did happen (laughs) just last year, in fact. But this call to action is like, well, we're just trying to help. And here's an opportunity. Here's how we're going to help. The last one is really something that I was aware of and, and really hit home with me during and after the global financial crisis. And this point five is that pessimists extrapolate present trends without accounting for how reliably markets adapt. Okay, and that's important because pessimistic views often start with a foundation of a rational analysis, so the warnings appear as reasonable as it is scary. And so, you know, when I think back to during the global financial crisis and before, there was many perma bears, let's say, that predicted the great crash and that, you know, it would be a decade before stocks got back to where they were and and et cetera, et cetera. Because, you know, I think about 
and we talked about this, of course, last week with Shea as well. One of the big causes of the global financial crisis was the mortgages that were built around ninja loans or lending money to people that had no jobs, no assets, no income, that kind of thing. And you didn't have to be a rocket scientist to guess that a lot of those mortgages were going to go bad. Okay, but what a lot of people didn't count on is, well, how would the governments, you know, the Federal Reserve and, you know, and the federal governments respond to that? And they responded in a very strong way. I mean, they bailed out banks, you know, they created a ton of liquidity, they did quantitative easing. And so in the end, I mean, we all lived through the global financial crisis and the markets, you know, went on, even though they were down 50% at their lows, they went on and set record highs for the next 10 years. And even if you had been invested before they went down 50%, you were still way, way ahead of the game just by waiting it out. Unless you followed the advice of people like Harry Dent. That's right. Harry Dent, author, I'm going to pick on him a little bit. Just when things were going really well in the early 2000s, he wrote a book about the roaring 2000s, right? He predicted that the Dow Jones would go up, I don't know, 400% or something like that. Of course, that didn't happen because we hit the global financial crisis and some other things. And instead, the Dow went down, right? Yeah. And then he wrote a, a subsequent book about, what was it called? The recession Ahead yeah. or something like that, yeah. right? Where he talked about how it's just not going to get better from here. Yeah. And he was exactly wrong. And instead, the Dow went up dramatically. Well, and even as recently as last year, I have it posted on my bulletin board, Harry Dent wrote about what was going to happen last year. And directionally, he was right. He was calling for a bear market. In the U.S., and he was right, there was a bear market in the U.S., but he was basically saying, get out of stocks, it'll be a decade before stocks are worth investing in again. The market won't go down 25% as it did, I believe, at its low last year, but he said the market would go down about 75%. And again, so you can be directionally right, but still wrong. And so you don't want to make decisions without knowing what kind of responses there will be. So Morgan Housel talks about this in 2008. There was an environmentalist named Lester Brown who wrote that by 2030, China would need 98 million barrels of oil a day. And the world at that time was currently producing 85 million barrels a day and would never be able to produce much more than that. And there goes the oil, oil reserves in the world. And he was right in that scenario. So yes, you would have run out of oil. However, but that's not how the markets worked, right? So a shortage of oil pushed up oil prices. The high prices incentivized producers to come up with new drilling techniques. And as of the time of this writing, which is about six years ago, there was more oil than the world needed, right? So world oil production that year was 96 million barrels, already way above what he thought was the high mark for the year 2030. And so failing to account for markets' abilities to adapt is the cause of the death of most pessimistic forecasts. So Morgan finishes off, you know, should you listen to pessimists? And he says, of course, because they're the best indication of what's unsustainable and that's probably about to change and thus the soil of what to be optimistic about. Yeah, so basically he turns that around, you know, and, and I think it's really important to keep that in mind these days just because, yeah, there's a lot of negative stuff going on. You know, it's not difficult to highlight and even optimists like us are very aware of what's going on in the world, whether it's high inflation, high interest rates, a war in Ukraine, 
issues with China, technological issues. There's a lot going on. And the point is, there always is. And if you look past that, because we're not saying there's not going to be a recession. We're not saying that there's not going to be another bear market. There very likely will be all of those things. But, you know, stick to your plan and look past it and things will be great. Oh, I guarantee you at some point, I'm going to use that word, Greg, guarantee. Whoa. I guarantee that there will be a recession at some point, And I guarantee that there will be another bear market at some point. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to let that one go. <laughs> That's just like saying, are we going to have four seasons in the next 12 months? Like they all go in cycles, yeah. right? And that's just the way it is. But I guess the bigger point of this discussion has been like, well, why do we listen to certain people? Why are they seen as experts yep. versus others? There's a lot of our listeners that also watch things like BNN. And they often have experts on. Ask, I think they actually have a show called Ask the Experts, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And in the show, people will come on and they'll be optimistic or pessimistic about certain stocks or sectors or, I don't know, asset classes. But I guess the question is, well, how did those people get to be on that show to be seen as this expert, right? Yep. And here's an unpleasant truth about the modern world. And that's being an expert and being seen as an expert are two different things. There are experts who don't get the respect they deserve, and there are non-experts being treated as if they're true authorities. Mm -hmm. And we see that a lot. I would call that maybe fake news, right? I have a family member, I won't call him out, but he's a close family member, who is in a rabbit hole of alternative news. And everything that they quote always leads to this bigger plan. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've been around people like this. Yes. And I don't know if he's right or wrong, Greg, but I just question the sources of where this news is coming from. Mm-hmm. Like, what does it take to be seen as an expert? It's a bit different for everyone. I guess for some people, it's like wearing a suit and speaking in an authoritative manner. And that's maybe all it takes, right? Yeah. Yeah. I saw that early in my career where we were very much polished. You were always suit and tie, cufflinks, yeah. dress shoes, polished, everything polished and it was all an image thing. That's right. It didn't mean that I was any better then than I am now at my job. As a matter of fact, I would say I'm way better now at my job than I was 20 years ago. And maybe I'm not wearing a suit anymore. That's right. Right. Yeah, for sure. So some of the things that also come with being seen as an expert would be credentials. You know, obviously you need to have certain credentials or I think you need to have certain credentials in order to be qualified right? Like you don't go to a doctor that doesn't have the credentials of being a doctor. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. What other examples are there of that? Like, I don't know. Well, I think obviously any profession, but to be honest, I mean, it can go a long way. Like when you talk about different professions, I mean, even whether you're talking about real estate or car sales, Mm -hmm. you know, which a lot of people like to denigrate, but somebody that knows the market, knows their business, knows their product can help you achieve your goal. They could be an expert. Right? Oh, absolutely. And at the same time, you can see lots of guys that present themselves as if they're experts and they're charlatans. Yeah. So those charlatans, although might be coming across with confidence. That's right. So how you present yourself matters. Having that eloquence, the grace and authoritative confidence can help you build an image, right? Well, and just think about in our business, when people speak authoritatively, even if they're pessimists, You tend to believe them because, as we said earlier, I mean, A, they sound knowledgeable. B, it sounds like they're digging through the weeds to find out reasons for you to be nervous or to be wary. And they speak with confidence. They say, 
the stock market is going down 25% in the next 12 months. Now, obviously, nobody can know that. But if you say it authoritatively, people will buy it. And you, if you say it over and over and over. Yes, right? that's right. And by the way, they may even believe it. Yeah. They may not be trying to sell someone. They may actually believe it. Yes. But that has an impact on the watcher. Actually, I had something sent to me from a friend just the other night, and it was a, a TikTok uh, little video on a cryptocurrency trader who just went off on, I think it was on CNBC even, about how people just needed to sell all of their stocks and only invest in Bitcoin. Now, we're definitely not recommending that by any means. No. Just just explaining what I saw, what was sent to me. But the thing that got me was that this person spoke with confidence. They were credentialed in their field and they were connected. And that's the other part is having connections. Like when you're a connected person, it does give you some authority by proxy, right? And so this person was very connected to that field and so was seen as this expert, right? So my friend said, what do you think? Should we do this? I said, well, no, (laughs) but good video. (laughs) That's right. Uh, You know, so some of the ways one can be seen as an expert, as we mentioned, was, as I said, earn credentials, which is important. Start a blog, right? Maybe you're there's something that interests you and you dig deep into it and you start posting on it and you, you get connected to other yep. people. Yep. And they start sharing it. And all of a sudden you're seen as as an expert in that area, which would then also lead to getting active on social media, right? Mm-hmm. Just like this TikTok video that was sent to me. Yep. I mean, I didn't ask to see it, right? It was forwarded to me from somebody who it was forwarded to. And that's just a way for people to build their network through social media. And as a matter of fact, that's what we do too. I mean, we're doing a podcast, a weekly podcast on social media and we do ours more to be educational. I would say we're not out there predicting that the market's going to go up or the market's going to go down. We're not selling anything. Well, we're selling ourselves. I mean, like, Hey, listen, if anybody needs a new investment advisor, the CM group is maybe for you, right? <laughs> exactly. Good plug. <laughs> but but really, no, you're right. We're not selling a product. Like we're not, No, I don't know. It's not like an infomercial, right? Another way for people to be seen as experts is to partner and be affiliated with trusted brands. And so maybe that's your point about the car sales or realtor. Yeah. Typically, I would think if you're going to, I don't know, sell your house, you're probably looking at the brand first. Probably, unless you have a personal contact. But even that you know, personal contact is working under a brand. It's true. Right? I yeah, mean, it's true. Or if you're buying a vehicle, you're probably attracted to a brand first. I don't know. Exactly. I'm just guessing. But. but So here's the thing. Colin, would you say we're optimists or pessimists? Well, I would say we're optimists I by agree. nature. Yeah. I agree. You know, and I think part of the issues that we deal with and we talk about a lot on this podcast is that bad things are going to happen. But does that drive your life's vision, your financial vision, your your future vision? And I think the answer is, I hope not. Because we all like to look ahead and believe that things are going to be good or even better in the future. You know, and so when we're talking about things like the markets, where's the market going to go? And as we talked about last week with Shay, well, even if you believe that, yeah, there's going to be some volatility, maybe some more banks are going to go under, maybe there'll be some risks. Going out and trying to sell your stocks today because of what might happen, you know, just seems to be 
on a probability basis, a poor bet, mm-hmm. right? Because in the long run, we know that on average, we've talked about stocks go up. And so what we're really talking about is just playing the probabilities, which we've also talked about in this podcast before. The probability is in the long run, you will benefit by owning a diverse portfolio of stocks and bonds. The exact allocation between the two is very personal to your own circumstances, but in the long run, owning both of those asset classes has been a good thing to do. So we're just playing the probability. And by listening to the pessimists and by maybe being swayed by their perceived expert status, by their pessimistic outlook and a call to action of something that may actually be deleterious to your wealth in the long run. That's a word I haven't heard before. Deleterious? Deleterious. Yeah. What is that? You know, like not good for. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not going to use fancy words like yours, like deleterious, but I will say this, that For every trade that you make, whether it's a stock, bond, house, car, whatever, if you're selling something, it's because you've probably given up on it. Yeah. And somebody who's buying it probably sees some opportunity in it. That's right. Right? Yep. So it's kind of the same thing with pessimists and optimists, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And there's a saying that's floating around in the financial world, pessimists sound smart, optimists make money. So maybe that's true, maybe that's not in every case, but I think it's generally a good theme overall. Sounds like pessimists are deleterious by nature. It could be to your I don't know if I'm using that right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, maybe we should wrap it up? You bet. Okay. Okay, next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.